So here we go. Love covers all wrong. We're continuing in this series, and um, this series is based on Proverbs 10, 12, which says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. The amplified version of that particular passage of Scripture says, Love covers and overwhelms all transgressions, forgiving and overlooking another's faults. And then last week we looked at a few definitions of love, so maybe some uh, dictionary definitions of love, and, and uh, we, we came up with some pretty good definitions of what love could be. But we also found out that love is so much more than how the dictionary defines it, or how society defines it, or really how you define it. It's so much more. We, we talked about how it's a, a purposeful decision. Love is a purposeful decision and an action, so much more than just the emotion. It's um, really something where we purposefully want to make others better, okay, it's where we purposefully want to do that. So today, we, last week we talked about understanding love, understanding God's love, understanding how much he loves you. God is love. He doesn't just love as an action, but that's who he is. And uh, we talked about Ephesians 5.1 a little bit, how Paul saying, uh, you know, God, um, he, he, he loves, he, he, he wants to give everything of himself to us. He doesn't love us to get something back from us. All right. And then at the end of that, uh, that second verse, I think he says, love like that, love like that. And then we strive to love like that. And today, I want to talk about something I think that's, that's difficult. I mean, a lot of us would say, yeah, you know, uh, Pastor Mike, you know, that, that sounds good. I mean, I want to love like God loves. I want to love others, you know, even when I'm done wrong, you know, I, I want to be able to overlook that. I want to be able to forgive and because I want others to forgive me. So I want to love like that. But I want to talk today about how that applies to you, Okay. Once we understand that love sees the best in others and is determined to make others better, we understand that true love means that we must also see the best in ourselves and we must be determined to make ourselves better. And a lot of times that's so much more difficult than determining to love others, isn't it? Now, this is not some sort of narcissistic thing or narcissistic emotion, which means, you know, we have an inflated uh, sense of our own importance. That's not what this is. This is not selfish or self-centered, but it's simply recognizing that you are valuable to God. And if you don't love yourself, then you're saying that God is wrong. You're saying that God is wrong because he's saying that you are valuable and I love you and I made you for a purpose. And even though you tripped up and even though you failed, I still love you and you're still valuable. And when you say, uh, I don't know, I don't, I, don't, I don't quite love myself like I love others, then it's a slap in God's face. We have to realize that. Come on, I want that to sink in for a moment. Because it's this false humility uh, that we have when we don't love ourselves the way God loves us. The reason why I believe that we can settle it in our heart that we must love ourselves is I'll just give, these are not the points, I'll get to that in just a moment, but just uh, three things real quick, just so you know, uh, just a reminder for some of you, some of you need to get this down in your heart, but you need to understand that one, God loves you more than you'll know, more than you can comprehend, you can't understand it. He loves you more than that. The second thing is that 
he made you for a purpose. When he created you, there is a purpose. You're not here for nothing. Okay, even though sometimes some of us feel like that. You know, we feel like, well, what am I here for? I didn't, I didn't do that, or I didn't go to college, or I tried that job, and I, you know, I had four jobs, and, you know, what is my purpose? And, and we wonder those things. But just because we wonder them doesn't mean that God didn't make you for a purpose. He did. He made you for a purpose. And then the third thing is that you have a gift that is important for other people to thrive and strive in life. The gift that God gave you is important for other people. It's important for the church. It's important for the kingdom. And it's important for others. You must understand that, okay? Mark chapter 12, uh, I'm going to start right around verse 28, but just to give you some context, right before this, the Sadducees came to Jesus and they were talking with him and they began to talk about uh, resurrection. They began to talk about marriage. And really what they were doing was trying to trip Jesus up. You know, what about marriage, uh, you know, when, uh, you know, when we get to heaven? And of course, Jesus said, you know, almost in so many words, you fools, <laughs> you know, I, this is what you're trying to trip me up. And this is what you're thinking about. And he kind of corrected them. And then we find here. In verse 28, the Bible says, then one of the scribes, by the way, that is a teacher of the law. Okay, just so you know, he's talking about a teacher of the law, not just someone off the street uh, who goes to temple or who, you know, comes to church every once in a while. This is a teacher of the law overheard them talking. It says, then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, he heard the Sadducees and Jesus talking. And he perceived that he, meaning Jesus, had answered them well. He then asked Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? Or he could have said it like this. What is the most important commandment? That's what he's saying. What's the most important commandment? Jesus answered him. He said, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, when we read this, these, these two commandments, I'm sure most of us, many of us have read this before. We've heard sermons or messages on uh, this, you know, love God, love yourself. Uh, you know, there have been memes and, you know, all, all sorts of uh, things on social media and over the years, bumper stickers, love God, love yourself or love others, love God, love others, love God, love others. And we focus on, I must love God and I've got to love other people. And we think that's all it's saying. But that's not all Jesus is saying right here, because he says, love God. That's the first and most important one. The Lord, your God is one God. OK, we're not talking about I'll just, we're not talking about Buddha and Confucius and Martin Luther or whoever else. All right. We're talking about God, the ancient one. All right. And uh, he's one God. All right. And you shall love him more than anything else in your life. The second one is like it. You should love your neighbor. Yes, he does say that. But these words, as you yourself, as you love yourself. So what that tells me is you must love yourself. 
And what Jesus is saying here is that you cannot truly love others until you understand how God wants you to love yourself. You cannot truly love others until you first understand how God wants you to love yourself. We get that backwards. We put the cart before the horse, as it were. I, I'm going to try to love others. And now I'll get to myself. I'm, I'm going to build myself up at some point. I'll, I, I'm, I'm going to do it. I know that I need to do that. But most importantly, I have to, I have to love others. No, 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 no. Most importantly, you have to love yourself. How are you going to love others as you love yourself if you don't love yourself? It's impossible. Now, again, this is not some narcissistic thing because, uh, you know, as I mentioned that for a reason, you'll see all memes and everything on social media, you know, look in the mirror and say, you are important and you are great. You is kind. You is beautiful. And I don't know what the other one is. You is, you, yeah, <laughs> you is all those things. And there, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with pumping yourself up and doing that. But without God, we, we, we learned that God is love. So there's no way to love, first of all, without God, because he is love. Not what he does. He didn't grab love from somewhere and say, I'm going to do this better than anyone else. That is who he is. So without God, there is no love. So you get all that, those, all that social media and memes and instas and all that stuff from the world. You can get all that, but it never amounts to the love of God. And in fact, it doesn't even amount to love. It's some sort of false love, Okay. And so we, we understand that. And so when we love ourselves the way God wants us to love ourselves, we are absolutely right with God. Absolutely right with him. You see, people tend to talk about self-love. It's, it's, it's a buzzword, okay? And, but it's a little warped and conflicted uh, when you hear it from the world and society. So we take a step back and we try to understand what self-love truly is. The reality of self-love. You know, you think of how you love your friends and your family and your loved one. If you're a parent, you think about how you love your children. And, and though you get upset with them and you scold them, you know, but it, but it doesn't mean you, you, never, you never take your love away from them. All right. You do all of those things because you love them. All right. Those people in your family, your brother, your sister. Ooh, she gets on my nerves so much. But you better not talk about her. I can talk about her, right? You got to talk about her, all right? It's my sister now, right? And so we have that kind of love. You're most likely supportive and kind. You're generous. You don't criticize or, uh, you know, uh, you don't criticize them harshly. Uh, you, you want the best in them. You appreciate their company. All of those things, you're able to overlook their quirks and shortcomings and all of that. And, and you really believe that they deserve the best. You want the best for them. So in a nutshell, self-love is when you apply these practices to yourself. Are you able to overlook your own quirks and all of those kind of things? Are you able to forgive yourself? Now, we would know, my, my wife and I had a conversation. She was telling me that she's reading Romans right now. And uh, it, actually, Romans is, is, is one of my favorite books, only because, Paul, you know, you, you read that, and I, I understand, you think, Paul, what is Paul talking about? You know, he's, kind of talk, he's like talking philosophy. But really, you know, you read Romans chapter 7, it's very clear 
it's, I won't read it to you now, but it's very clear. Paul, it, it talks about the love and the grace and the forgiveness of God, but you better not take advantage of that. It is not there to be taken advantage of because God going to give you a whooping. He's, he's, your, he's a daddy. Okay, he's going to straighten you out. All right. So we know that we know that it's, it's not that we're taking advantage of all of those things. But so knowing that, can you forgive yourself? Can you want the best for yourself? Can you look in the mirror with the love of God in your heart and say, I love you because you are fearfully and wonderfully made by the hands of God? Can you look at yourself and say that you are made by the hands of God with all of your flaws, all of your inconsistencies, all of your failures. All right. You are made by the hands of God. And I love you. Can you say that to yourself? Self-love means accepting yourself fully and having a high regard regard for your own happiness and well-being. But it seems like that is so difficult. It is so difficult to do. Here's some reasons why you may not love yourself the way that God wants you to love yourself or love yourself the way that God uh, loves you. First of all, maybe you weren't loved as a child. Maybe you, you were talked too harshly. Maybe you didn't receive the love uh, that you should have, you know, when you were a child, those hugs, you know, from your mother or your dad uh, coming to your game or to, uh, you, you know, your performance or whatever and, and saying, hey, I'm proud of you no matter what. Maybe you didn't receive those things. Maybe you weren't told that you are valuable even though you are maybe you never really fit in growing up anybody don't raise your hand anybody ever been in those situations I've been in some situations where it just didn't seem like I fit in you know I, I'm here and I just don't fit in you know and you feel odd and quirky okay you may have had many bad experiences maybe you failed often you tripped up and you failed often you always compare yourself to others that's a whole message on its own Comparison. There is a sin of comparison. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, it is a. There is a sin of comparison. Really, it, it, it will. It will. It will kill your self-esteem quicker than anything else when you start comparing yourself to other people. Maybe you hold on to, or you magnify every mistake that you make. Isn't it interesting? If someone else makes the same mistake you make, you can say, well, that was a mistake. But, you know, you can encourage them. Oh, you, you can get over that. It's, I, everybody makes that mistake. Don't worry about it. You can do it. Just, you know, uh, repent. Whatever it is, you know, you, you can get it together. But if you make, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I did that again. Oh, <laughs> you know, and you feel so bad. You feel guilty. Right. You feel condemned, but God never condemns us. He never condemns us. And so knowing this, this is as important uh, to get a hold of as it is to love God and love other people. This is just as important as that. It's not like, well, uh, you know, we got to love God. We got to love other people. And if we have a chance, you know, love yourself, too, by the way. I mean, when you get a chance, do that. That's not what it is. This is just as important. This is just as important as everything else, okay? So we must get a hold of this if we're going to live the victorious, overcoming, abundant life that Jesus, by the way, that Jesus died on the cross for us. He gave his life for you to live an abundant life. So, and I'm not here to condemn you or myself because I'm talking to me. 
But if you're not living an abundant life, and I don't, I don't mean what the world would say, but I mean if you're not thriving in God, thriving to get better, even though you make mistakes, all right, even though you stumble, if you're not getting back up, if you're not saying, I am not under the curse of the law, if you're not realizing that you have the blessing of Abraham on you, if, you, if you're not trying to make sure that your faith is strong in every area, then you are not living the abundant life that Jesus, by the way, died. In fact, not only did he die on the cross, but he gave up his life, every day of his life that he was on earth. He gave for other people. When, when, the, when the Bible says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, yes, it absolutely means he gave him to die on the cross, but he gave him to teach us. He gave him to be an example. He gave him so that when he wanted to go do something fun and someone needed prayer or someone needed healing, that he would give up that, okay? He gave his life for you and me. And how do we repay him? How do we repay him? We live lives that are not worthy of the anointing that he has placed on us. Think about that. It's not condemnation. It is not. I promise you it is not. It's, it's, convic it's conviction. It's, it's a catalyst. We've got to do better. and We've got to be better when it comes to the things of God. And I'm talking to me. We've got to be better. And it begins with loving ourselves, knowing who you are in Christ, loving ourselves. So there's three things that we can do to love ourselves. And you would know these three things, but just let me remind you of them, okay? Three things that we can do uh, to make sure that you're loving yourself the way God wants you to love yourself. The first thing is you have got to, got to, got to let go of past mistakes. Everybody has made them. If there's anybody in this world who's uh, older than six years old, well, older than three years old, that's, I guess you can start talking maybe at three, and says, I've never made a mistake, they're lying. They are lying. 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 I don't, I don't have to go back and prove the mistake. I'm just telling you, they're lying. Okay? So don't listen to that. <laughs> Everybody has made mistakes. The scripture says all. Exactly. There you go. See, y'all got it. <laughs> all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All, all. How many people? That's all except for Jerry. I mean, if it went for you, I mean, Jerry, no, <laughs> all. Jerry too. Jerry too. All right. Billy Graham, Martin Luther, Mother Teresa, even Martin Luther the King. All of them fell short. Okay, all of us have, have come short. And so we've got to be able to let go of past mistakes. God does. God does when we go to him and ask for forgiveness. He throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. He lets go of it. He doesn't judge our future by our past. Then you stop doing that. Stop judging your future by your past. Judge your future by the word of God. Judge your future by the faith that you have in the word of God. Listen to Psalm 103, verses 10 to 14. I didn't put it up there, but just listen to it. it says this. It says, he has not dealt with us according to our sins. Whew, I could just say that right there. He has not dealt with you according to your sins. All right? Nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, 
So far, he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. And that just means has compassion and empathy on us. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows you. He knows you are not perfect yet. He knows that. And so we have to grab hold of that. We have to believe that. We can't just quote it. We must believe it. We got to get that in our spirit and in our heart. You are an overcomer. You are more than a conqueror. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and never again beneath. You are under the blessing of Abraham. You are removed from the curse of the law. You are redeemed. You are saved. You are a child of God. You do have God's DNA. You have creative power because the Spirit, Holy Spirit, lives in you. That's who you are. We've got to believe it now. Believe it. See, this love that we're talking about, it's got to be discovered before it can be defined. We have to discover this love in God. That's why the world will never understand it. The world will never, without God, without a revelation of who Jesus is, the world will never understand what we're talking about. This only comes by revelation. This only comes by, it's just like what, what, what Jesus told Peter. This wasn't taught to you in church. <laughs> uh, you heard some guy up there talking and yelling, but that's not how you got it. You got it from rhema. You got it from revelation. You got it because God breathed it into you and you received it. You were willing to receive. You said, Lord, anoint my ears and give me revelation of what you're saying. So we have to understand we got to let go of those past mistakes. And likewise, I already said it, but you have to understand this. Listen, difficult times in your life are not punishment. Difficult times in your life are not punishment. Now, does God ever chastise us or correct us? Yes, he does. But what I'm emphasizing here is that many of us feel like every time something bad happens, God's punishing me for something I did. I didn't write this one down, but I, I remember reading about, uh, you know, there was a, a boy who was blind, I think, um, Deidre, we were talking about this, and, uh, they, and then they came to Jesus and said, well, 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 who sinned? Was it his parents or someone else? They just immediately, because he was blind, figured somebody sinned. Jesus said, nobody sinned. It wasn't, but, but that's just the way we're wired. Bad things are happening. I must have done something wrong. It must be, it must be something bad in my life. It's not always the case. Listen, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. If, 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 if you're being punished for something you did, uh, if God's chastising you, not punishing you, but if he's chastising you, you know it. You know it. And you know what you did. You don't have to guess. You can't, you, it won't be a situation where, dang, I must have done something. No, you would know exactly what you did. All right. You know that you had a bad attitude and you cursed that person out and you're a Christian. You was looking around hoping nobody from church saw you. All right. You know, you would know it, but you don't have to go through life wondering is my point here. Every time something bad happens, oh, I must have done something wrong. Why, listen to James 1.12. New King James says, blessed is the man who endures, 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 not goes around, not goes under, not avoids, but endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. I like the Amplified here. Watch what the Amplified says. It says, blessed, 
happy, spiritually prosperous, favored by God is the one who is steadfast under trial and perseveres when tempted. For when he has passed the test and been approved, he will receive the victor's crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. There will be hard times. In this world, you will have tribulation, but I have overcome them all. There will be a storm and your boat will be in the middle of the storm. But guess what? I'm going to come to you walking on the water in the midst of the storm. And if you ask, I'm going to tell you to get out the boat and walk with me. I'm not going to take the storm away, but you're going to walk on the water in the midst of the storm. That's how we get it twisted sometimes. That's how we think, oh, it must be something bad. No, there's going to be difficult times. There's going to be difficult times in your life. You see, God poured out punishment on Jesus. That's what that was for. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, Isaiah 53, 6 says. And the Bible tells us if you declare with your mouth, all right, and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved. Therefore, those who accept Christ as Lord and Savior, the punishment for sin is no longer upon us. God no longer punishes us for our sin. Jesus took the punishment. Let me refer you to Romans 7. Does that mean that I can just do whatever I want to do? Paul would say, God forbid. God forbid. God forbid. You know better. See, if you understand this, then you know better. You, you, you know better. You know, you know you're not a person who wants to test God. This is to encourage you to be the best that God could have for you, to, to, to grab a hold of the best that God has for you and to be the best that God has made you. To strive for that. That's what this is for. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation, none, zilch, zilch, zero, nine, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk after the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Why? Watch this. For the law of the Spirit, come on, <laughs> it's a law. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free, you, you free from the law of sin and death. You are no longer under the, it's a law. It's a law. You're no longer under the law of sin and death. And many of you feel that you get your worth and your value out of the important things that you do. That's not what gives you worth and value anyway. Because you could do something great one day and everybody will be clapping and, and cheering for you. And you know, you do the same thing. You can do something you feel is even better. And people wonder what's wrong with you. And they'll talk about you and they'll say, you're just selfish and you're just self-centered and you just, wait a minute, it's the same thing. I mean, you may not have people clapping for you every time you stand up or do something important, but that doesn't devalue what you're doing. That doesn't devalue who you are. God gives you your value. You see, most people won't do things unless they get a lot of credit or unless somebody's making a lot of noise about it. <laughs> yeah, that's the way some people are. And I think because many of us can quote Colossians 3.23 that says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart, working for the Lord and not for human masters. Many of us can quote that, but many of us don't have a revelation of it. You can quote it, but you don't have a revelation of what that means. Everything you do, do as unto the Lord, not while people are looking at you, not as unto people so you can get a pat on the back from others. Do it as unto the Lord. All right, do it as unto the Lord. And so you have to understand, know who you are in Christ. Know who you are in Christ. John 15, 15 says this, Jesus said, I do not call you servants any longer, 
for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you my friends because I have revealed to you everything that I heard from my father. He no longer calls us servants, but you are friends. That's why we sing, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. No longer servants, but friends. Know who you are. Know who you are. You get your worth from God. So understand this. You are valuable to God. Jesus paid a price for you. He gave his life, both figuratively and literally. He gave his life for you. You were created for a purpose. And guess what? Can I tell you something? You were created for a purpose. You have a purpose on this earth. And then the other thing right on the heels of that, can I tell you something? Understand this. Please get this. God has not changed his mind about you. No matter what you've done, no matter how, how you've fallen short, how you failed. I mean, I, you know, listen, you could say, many of us could say, man, I blew it. I didn't blow it. I blew it big time. I mean, it was a big time blow it when I did that thing. But guess what? God hasn't changed his mind. You want to know why he hasn't changed his mind? Because he already knew he was going to do it. Before he created you, he knew you was going to blow it. And he decided to love you. So God hasn't changed his mind about you. Why? Because God knows everything about you and still loves you. These things right here, listen, we can quote them. They're, 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 they're cliche-ish, you know, things. That, that, but listen, please, this morning, get it in your spirit. Get these things in your spirit that Jesus did pay a price for me. Not just the church, of course the church, but he paid a price for me, for me, me personally. He paid a price for you personally, you. He saw you and he paid a price for you. He paid the price for you. He knows everything. He knows things that you don't even realize about yourself. You know, you know how your, your wife or your husband or your sister or your mom will know something about you and you, you may even deny it because you don't even think, I don't, I, don't, I don't do that. I mean, I don't do that. I didn't say it like that. But boy, if we had a recorder and we went back, come on. See, God knows things about you you don't even know about yourself and he still loves you. He still loves you. He still loves you. So let me just give you Psalm 139. 139, 1 to 3 says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down. You know my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. So then after reading that, of course, in my flesh, my natural question would be, then why, how in the world do you love me? Why do you love me? We don't know why, but we just do know that he does. We do know that he does. Amen.